We all have a yearning for love, but relationships can be confusing and complicated. Dr. Tammy Balashevsky says it all starts from within. It starts with a journey to center. Here's your host for Journey to Center on Empower Radio, Dr. Tammy Balashevsky. Hello, my lovely listeners and beautiful souls. Thanks for hanging out with us today here on Journey to Center. Yes, I think what we all want, whether we know it or not, is the sense of the sacred in our relationships and in our lives. Many may think they want material things or more and better things, but I believe the reason we want anything is because we think we will feel better by having it. But what feels really good is to have the experience of giving and receiving love. And to me, that is what a sacred life is all about. So how can we do that? How can we bring more of a sense of the sacred into every day? Ruvi Nishama invites us to find the sacred in traditional and non-traditional ways in her book, Recipes for a Sacred Life. Written with heart and humor, her short stories and true tales are down-to-earth, magical, and steeped in ancient wisdom. Her book supports readers in connecting more deeply with joy, purpose, and love. And what could be better than that? In addition to authoring her book, Recipes for a Sacred Life, Rivi is also an editor and community organizer. She holds degrees in philosophy, comparative literature, social work, and education. As a lifelong writer, Rivi has also contributed to Glamour, the New York Times, and been profiled in Ms. Magazine. Her spiritual path draws from many sources, including Native traditions, Eastern and Western religions, Sufism, and shamans, as well as her mother. So, Rivi, thank you so much for being here today on Empower Radio. Thank you, Tammy, for inviting me, and thank you for that beautiful introduction. <laughs> I was thinking, I'm going to buy the book. Just the facts. <laughs> just the facts, ma'am. This is, this is who you are, and I have to say, I'm just so honored to be having the conversation. I've been reading your book by my fireplace, and although the fireplace feels warm, it feels like your books and your stories warm me up from the inside out. Oh, that's so beautiful to hear, and, and that's what I hope you know for anyone who reads it. Thank you. Yeah, definitely filled with heart and sweetness. And some of the stories are very short. So if people don't have a lot of time, they can sit down and read a story or two. And I feel it just, um, it's, they're sweet. They're heartfelt. They're, they're, it's a coming home. And, and I love that feeling. Who doesn't want that? Yeah. And they're also very honest. (laughs) So people will see that I'm not always that sweet. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. It's very, there's some eclectic (laughs) types of stories. So some might think from the title of your book, Recipes for a Sacred Life, that it's a cookbook. So what is this? Tell us what it is. Um, Well, I'm a storyteller and these are the most meaningful stories from my life. And from anything I was searching for or anything that happened that felt magical or enlightened me, lifted me up. Each of them has become a story. So every story um, illuminates one aspect of sacred living and in the everyday. And I would think, you know, readers tell me that it helps them see the sacredness in their own lives and that some of the things in the stories they feel they can do, but they'll do a little different. So I'm passing them on like recipes that you mix your own ingredients in and make it your own. I say that. Cherry pick. Take what works for you. Make it your right, own. Leave, right. leave what you don't want. That's nice. So, Rivi, how would you define a sacred life? Um, to me, a sacred life is a life of connection. I, what you said before, 
um, rang true with me, but it's connected to others, connected to nature, connected to whatever you feel is the divine. And sometimes you'll feel that divine by connecting to nature and connecting to others. And that can be through love, through gratitude, through acts of service, so many ways. And it's being present, you know, being aware, but the key is connection. Oh, gosh, I love that so much. One of my teachers once said to me, all of our pain comes from our perceived disconnection yes. from spirit. And I didn't know if I believed that, but I have to admit, every time I don't feel good, I don't feel connected. So this is a, your book is a great way to, to reestablish that sense of connection, which what a gift. Well, thank you. Yeah, it helps me, too, because especially lately, it's very hard times I'm finding um, for myself, for a lot of people right now. And to remember that connection, um, you know, even when I read one of the stories and I start doing again one of the practices, and it, it could be something so simple as just smiling more at, you know, people I meet on the street or at the grocery, you know, checkout. And then you just get a feeling, you know, we're all connected. We're all in this together. And um, a friend just wrote a, something where she said, moment by moment with love. That's very sweet. Yeah. Gosh, I love that. Very yes. heartfelt. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I got. That's what I get. This, like your stories and your message and your wisdom links us back up to our own heart. And uh, it's so, so powerful because, yeah, life is hard. Best case scenario, life is hard. We all suffer, right. suffer and struggle, uh, you know, just being human. I think we all deserve great compassion. So to be able to just give us that, that gift of, um, linking back up with our own heart and our own center, our own soul or the divine, I think is just just really fabulous. Well, thank you. I feel you give that to so many people with your program. So, And I loved the prayer you said at the beginning just to center us. Yeah, uh, and I appreciate that. That is absolutely my intention is to be of service. So that's something you talk about in your book. You talk about forgiveness. You talk about service. You talk about a lot of different subjects in regards to um, creating sacred. Do you want to talk about some of the different topics and, and, and how you came to these topics and these mm -hmm. stories? Well, yeah, some of the big ones, you know, the biggies like forgiveness and gratitude um, are, are there in, in many different stories, um, 75 stories with 10 sections. But then the stories cover, I think, almost all aspects of life or of my life from birth to death, marriage, divorce, love, making love, gardening, eating, <laughs> nature, animals, hanging clothes out on the clothesline and dancing. <laughs> so it's the stories came to me. It felt through inspiration. Quite honestly, I, I, I felt um, I felt inspired to write the book. It just came, and I hadn't been writing in a long time. I, I was more involved with community organizing. And, and once it came, it came along with my own intention that I knew I wanted to live a sacred life, that that was my highest purpose. Mm -hmm. And the, it, so the two things came together, and then the stories just flowed. And they didn't flow quickly. It took me six years to write the book. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it was, it was a joyful experience. It was just they came when they were coming and, and I would write them down and <laughs> and then I'm an editor so of course I edit them about a hundred times each and, and but that, that that was a wonderful process I loved it and and I felt I was learning and but it had to be a story it had to you know be something that people would want to read out loud and laugh or cry it I didn't want it to be 
you know, a list, do this, do that. I, there's so many books out that already do that so well. And I didn't have anything new to add, but I thought my stories that are just so real, you know, could illuminate a lot of the lessons that so many teachers are, you know, telling us that we're learning in different ways. Yeah, and again, I think that's what brings the heart to your writings. So you're kind of touching on this. I'm just wondering if there's anything else you want to add to it in regards to how your book is so different. I know clearly this is a beautiful, beautiful gift for the holidays or uh, for a birthday or any any kind of, uh, anytime you want to just give somebody a gift from the heart, this book is great. But how is it different than some of the other spiritual yeah. musings or writings or self-help books that are out there? Um, well, one, like you say, um, I've already said that it's stories, and mm-hmm. I think a lot of the stories are magical, but they're also very down-to-earth. So um, that's a big difference. Uh, mm-hmm. Two, there's a lot of humor in the book, and I grew up with a lot of humor and my family, and I honor it, and I feel it's an important part of the sacred. So a lot of the stories are kind of laugh out loud. Third is that it's very honest and human. Uh, my sister said the other day, Rivi, I didn't know you were going to reveal so many of your flaws in the book. <laughs> and I, I said, I didn't know either. I didn't realize I had, but, you know, but they're, they're all there. And, you know, anyone who's on a spiritual path or just on a, uh, that sounds maybe too fancy. Anyone who's trying to live a good life, you, you know, you can say every morning, I'm, I'm going to be kind and treat everyone with kindness. And it sounds so easy when I'm sitting there meditating, you know, and then... Oh, yeah, in theory, for sure. And then people come into my life and suddenly, <laughs> you know, it's a lot harder. So it's very honest. And finally, um, what we've been saying, it's sacred in the everyday. It's sacred doesn't mean... You know, even spiritual or religious, it just, it it can mean, oh, I don't know, you know, feeling the, the earth when you're planting the seeds in the garden. It can mean, you know, cooking a dinner for people you love and feeling that love while you're doing the cooking. So those are the ways it's different. And, and each recipe has a different flavor. Right. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. I like that. <laughs> I'm going to use that line. Thank you, Tammy. <laughs> I, uh, you just go right ahead. I was, you inspired me. You inspired me with it. It's like, you know, I'll read a story and go, oh, and then I'll try something else. And go, oh, it's like a box of chocolates. <laughs> it's like, everyone's <laughs> yeah. a little different. You don't know what to expect. <laughs> right. They are. And it, the, the fun, some of the fun of writing the book was putting them all together, you know, finding the way that, that they're you know, that there's a contrast from one to the next, but there's also a smooth transition, you know, so yes. that, that was fun, like a jigsaw puzzle. Yes, I think, I think you did a fabulous job. So you um, write about the Dalai Lama a lot, which I just love, and also Deepak Chopra. Um, how did they affect or influence your spiritual path? Um, well, there are two of the teachers who are mentioned in the book. You know, they, they take, <laughs> they have a role in some of the stories. And I'd seen both of them um, in Boulder, Colorado. I'd heard both of them speak. So I felt their presence and their spirit. And, and But I also love some of their writings. And there's so many teachers in the book. Like my mother's a big one and my grandson and strangers on the subway. Um, but the Dalai Lama, um, for, like that, to me... He says what people ask me about my religion. My religion is very simple. My religion is kindness. Yes. Man, that just says it. You know, you, you, know, you don't have to say, well, which religion are you? You know, if we all just practice kindness. And then he yes. says, when does he say, I, how does he say it now? 
I'm always practice kindness whenever possible, and it's always possible. <laughs> That's, those are Isn't good lines. Yes. I think I wrote that yesterday on Facebook or Twitter. It's like, if there's another soul, there's an opportunity to be kind. Yeah. And I, I've said the same thing when people go, well, what religion are you? You're a minister. What religion? It's like kindness. <laughs> so yeah, I yeah. really resonate with what you're saying. I think that's fabulous. Yeah. So, Rivi, I would really love it if mm-hmm. you would possibly consider sharing one of your favorite stories with us. Well, thank you. Um, a lot of them are my favorites, depending on the day. And <laughs> <laughs> but I was... I was thinking of either forgiveness because so much of your show is about, you know, we have to love ourselves before we can love others. And forgiveness is the same way to forgive ourselves and then forgive others. Or I can read because the holiday season, there's a story about giving. So I'll let you choose forgiving. Oh my gosh, I'm dizzy at the possibilities. (laughs) I love them both so much. Well, I do think, I mean, forgiveness is such a big deal. I've been working on that a lot recently myself. And I think a lot of people don't want to forgive others because they don't want to have to look in the mirror. And I think we all deal with, we go deep enough, if we're honest enough, we all harbor guilt and shame. And I think Mm -hmm. when we can alleviate those qualities, our lives transform. So I guess I'm leaning towards the forgiveness story. Okay, here goes. Looking for God in all the wrong places. I was wrestling with night demons, reliving a fight I just had with a friend. In the darkness of the hour, I saw her as cold, scary, and attacking, and myself as hurt, innocent, and ready to strike back. See God in everyone, I thought, an adage I once read, written by some monk, I bet, who lived in a cave with no friends or family to deal with. I mean, seeing God in everyone isn't something I easily do. The first time it happened was in the 70s on the New Jersey Turnpike when Barry and the kids and I stopped for lunch at a Howard Johnson's. The kids were cranky and fighting, tired from the long ride. I was cranky too, muttering about fast food chains and how there'd be nothing here I'd like and I'd rather starve. The waitress, who had a beehive hairdo and whose name badge said Pat, smiled broadly and handed us menus. Well, the special of the day was key lime pie. Now that just happens to be my favorite dessert. Still, I grumbled, it'd probably be all chemicals and taste like that too. It's just the stupid hojas. What do you expect? But I took a chance, and here's the truth. It was the best key lime pie I ever ate. Cool, tart, and a crust like butter. I savored each bite, and as I did, I looked around. What I saw were families, all sizes, all races, laughing and eating, squabbling and alive. A wave of love washed through me, and I suddenly saw God everywhere, in that pie, in Pat, in everyone in the room. Right, but you can't just make that kind of thing happen. And on this dark, restless night, decades later, I sure wasn't seeing God and my angry friend. Forget God, I wasn't even seeing anything good. Then I thought of something the Dalai Lama said. Something about remembering the good in the person you're angry at, the things you like. With that in mind, I began to remember my friend's humor, her empathy, and how she was there for me when I was sick. Soon she didn't seem so scary or bad. In fact, she began to look again like my friend. Seeing God in everyone isn't easy, 
But when you see the good in them, you're halfway there. And the funny thing is, what you see is what you get. You just need to know where to look. That's beautiful. Now, I I read that in your book, the three things that the Dalai Lama says to do. Mm -hmm. Right. And and I think your story exemplifies that so beautifully. And um, it can really transform our heart. It's like what you said in the beginning of the show. It's what um, links us back up to love. Mm-hmm. And that always feels better than not love. <laughs> it feels right. better than the know, anger or the hurt. I know. And for the longest time in my life, I thought that the important thing was to be right. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've had this conversation before. Right? I, I thought, if only they could see that I'm right, then they'd all love me. <laughs> it's not true. It makes you seem glib. <laughs> That's not as lovable as just being loving, is it? No. Uh, yeah, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? And I found the willingness to be wrong has been one of the most liberating experiences of my life. And allowing somebody else to have their experience or be right. And it's like, okay, I see that. That makes the, you know, that maintains the connection. Yeah, yeah. Or even, you know, sometimes I can't let go of it. I really know I'm right. But but at least I can decide it doesn't matter. I'm not here to prove it. (laughs) So, but that's That's true. It's hard to forgive when you feel you really know you're right. But then the Dalai Lama says you're, you're only hurting yourself. And aside from hurting them, the one who gets hurt the most is yourself with your anger or your unforgiveness. Right. In your chapter, what the Dalai Lama said, there are few things that feel worse than being angry at someone and, a, and few things that feel better than forgiving them. And I sure find that being in my loving feels a lot better than being in my hatred or my anger. So I'm choosing that for me. <laughs> right. Right. And it's good to have, you know, these recipes and these words, you know, and, and Dalai Lama to help us get back because we might want to forgive, but it feels so hard. And um, I have a recipe in here where, from Shakti Gawain um, about forgiveness that I, I do once a year, but you can do it anytime you want. And I'm grateful to her for passing on that. So some of the stories are passing on actual like recipes from other people, but they're recipes for love, for forgiveness, for kindness. Yeah, and connection. And connection. And there's a recipe for oatmeal. <laughs> that was the only real one. Oh, I haven't seen that. I like oatmeal. <laughs> oh, that's one of my favorite stories, the humble oatmeal. <laughs> Which is comfort food. We do mm-hmm. like comfort, comfort and joy. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I just want to, um, I mentioned this, so I want to um, finish it. The, the Dalai Lama's recipe for forgiveness and you write this on page 80, when you're angry with someone and having trouble forgiving them, do these three things. Consider why you think the person did what they did that is bothering you. Given all you know about them, what could have provoked or motivated them besides the fact that they're a bad dude? <laughs> Number two, recall a time when you did something <laughs> similar. This one's disturbingly easy. <laughs> Number three, think of all the good things about this person, the things you like. And it can be harder with some people than others, but it's always worth a try. So I did this, and it did. It, it totally shifted me. That was just lovely. Right. So it makes it very um, clear, succinct, and um, accessible. 
Yeah, yeah, I've been doing it a few times myself lately, and and it has it does it helps. You know, especially seeing when I've done I've done something similar. You know, that has to open us up to compassion and you know on the path to forgiveness. When you realize we we normally get most upset and angry at things in our you know that we do too. You know, qualities that we have that we haven't accepted in ourselves. Oh yeah, the projections. That's not fun to look at. No, <laughs> but but once you you're forgiving the other, you're forgiving yourself at the same time. That's so the it, sneaky it becomes, part, isn't it? Yeah. Now I've said often that if we see something we don't like in another, not only is it probably a projection, but it's also probably something that, if you go deep enough, deserves compassion. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's what um, I think it was the Dalai Lama. The only emotion left for the fully realized human being is compassion, infinite, unbearable compassion. So. I just try to remember that because it's tough. It's like what we talked about earlier. It's not easy being human. No, no. And, and sometimes they're a lot harder than others. And... So true. Yeah. So, Ruby, we have about five minutes left. Um, mm-hmm. I would love it if you could share with people how they could get a copy of your book or connect with you or find out more about you and your stories. Oh, I'd love to. Thank you, Tammy. Um, well, my name is Rivi, which is spelled R-I-V as in Virginia, V as in Virginia, Y. And sometimes if you just Google quotes around Rivi, it'll take you to my web page, it'll take you to the book. Um, but otherwise, my web is Rivi, Neshama, N-E-S-H-A-M-A dot com. And, um, and there's a place there, too, to, con- to contact me, and then we can be connected and as I'm going through getting everything in place to really do this book launching, I'll be sending out more emails um, to people who signed up on that list. And you'll also see all the events and all the media. There's a nice review that just came out today in Red Book Magazine online, and they picked it as their uh, book club pick of the month for January. Wow. So that was exciting. So someone, you know, if you wanted to read... Uh, a review of the book and an interview with me. I would be on Red Book. They're online. And then in the magazine, they'll be talking about the book club. Congratulations. Think, that's That seems huge. That's very significant. Yeah, that's, that's exciting. And I thank Julia and, and Booth Media for helping. I love Julia. Me. She gets me so many yeah. great guests. <laughs> nice. Like you. Yeah. So grateful. So grateful. So we have a couple minutes left, and I know you'd mentioned, and now I'm all like intrigued and compelled. I want to know something about giving as well. I don't know if we have time for another story. We have like three minutes. Mm-hmm. So, Rivi, I don't know if you want to, if you have time for the story, or if you three. just want to tell us about the powerful <clears throat> healing quality of giving. I'll read it. <laughs> Do you give to the ones who are drunk? My son, Tony, who lives in Manhattan, keeps some change in his pocket when he goes out walking. That way, he has something to give to the people he passes who ask him for help. Do you give to the ones who are drunk, who may use it to buy more beer, I asked? Yeah, he said. It's not for me to judge them or how they'll use it. You give from compassion to people in need. So now, when I remember, I keep changing my pocket, too. It helps me look forward to outstretched hands that I sometimes used to resent. In Judaism, giving to the needy is considered by some to be the most important commandment of all. It's called tzedakah, which often translates as charity, but really means righteousness. It's simply doing what's right and just. Maimonides, a medieval rabbi and philosopher, wrote that there are eight levels of tzedakah, and one of the highest is, quote, to give to the poor without knowing to whom one gives, and without the recipient knowing 
from whom he received. But something special happens when you're face-to-face on the street. It's a chance to really see each other and your shared humanity. And both giver and receiver end up feeling good. I feel especially good if I give with a smile and wish them good luck. Maimonides also wrote, even a poor person who lives entirely on Sadaka must give Sadaka to another, which reminds me of our friend, Julia Dean. Julia teaches photography around the world, but this happened when she was a struggling artist in New York. It was a snowy winter day with a biting wind. Julia still remembers it because she walked home 40 blocks in the cold, not having enough money for a bus. I was 10 blocks from my apartment, she says, when a man huddled in a doorway held out a can filled with change and said, Lady, you got any money? It hit me that I didn't. I didn't have any money. And I started to cry. He looked at me and then held out the can again and said, Lady, you need some money? That's so sweet. (laughs) I love that. I love that. Give generously, receive graciously. What a beautiful story. Uh, Yeah, that's... I remember when my friend told me she lives in California now, and I was so touched by it. And that's sort of, you know, I remembered it always. And then, you know, the pieces came together. My son talking about giving and Maimonides saying that even the poor have to give. It's important for everyone. You know? And then Julia's yes. story was just like, that was it, lady. You need some money. That's, I read that one, and I was like, that's sweet. Yeah. It was one of my favorites. So, Ruby, thank you. Speaking of favorites, this has been a favorite show of mine in a long time. So I'm just so grateful you came and hung out with us and shared your stories and the gift of your heart. So just, gosh, gosh, bless you and thank you. Oh, God bless you and thank you, Tammy. This was a wonderful experience. Thank, thank you. you. And to my listeners, I'm so honored that you choose to spend some of your time with us. If you want to get a hold of me, please go to my website, Tammy B. Ph.D., write to me with anything that's on your heart. Would love to connect with you. Thank you, Nate. Thank you, Brent Carey for Empower Radio. God bless you. Onward and upward. Bye for now.